depth and one of the best at projecting it, predicting it, giving you insights leading up to it, does it all year, this is his week. Jonathan Gavoni of DraftExpress.com. You should follow him on Twitter, at DraftExpress. He keeps you updated on the best of college basketball and European stars coming over to play in the NBA, and that's where his site is the best. They got more uh, insights and draft reports and prospect uh, evaluations on guys coming from Europe than anybody I know. How you been, Jonathan? Great, Jody. How about yourself? Can't complain. Getting excited because I'm uh, I'm not the draft Nick that you are, but I do follow it and uh, appreciate the information you give people all year. Uh, you start as soon as shoot. You have your your mock draft for next year. You start two years in advance. But when you get down to the week of, how does it change for a guy like you, guy who's been immersed in it all year long? Well, I think that there's a little bit more activity in terms of talking to teams, just, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. It's a big week for them. I know that their phones are wide open, listening to different trade offers, making, you know, letting teams know that, you know, if their pick is available or it isn't, they're also meeting with their team doctors or trying to figure out, you know, who they're even allowed to pick. The doctors have a big impact on, on, on who, on who gets slated where. And I think you're going to see some movement just based on that. Uh, you know, one NBA executive today told me that he hasn't seen this many uh, red flags medically on top guys as um, ever, really. But it should be interesting to see if, you know, how much that's going to move guys up or down. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a really fun week. Really? Um, you're, you're telling me something that I did not know, and there are levels and, and groupings of red flags. Who's, in your words, red flagged at this time who are top players? Um. I don't, it's not really responsible to, to talk about that publicly. I think you'll see some shifts in the rankings, but um, it's such a sensitive topic that I think that, you know, out of respect to okay. the kids, I mean, we'd rather not, you know, talk about that. All right, fair enough, because I, I was going to say, unlike last year, which had one which was quite obvious, some people believe Joel Embiid would have been the first pick in the draft if not for the injury he suffered first at the end of his Kansas season. And then even more importantly, the bigger one was while working out, getting ready for the draft, Sixers take him. He doesn't play the entire year. Now he's not healing quite as quickly as they thought he was going to. The upcoming season, year two, is now in question. His draft st- status and stock certainly was affected by injury. But you you say that there will be stories breaking after the draft about guys and and certain injuries that could affect their status, huh? Yeah, I think that you're going to see something similar to, like, Julius Randle, um, you know, who, you know, he, he he didn't really slide very far, but it didn't take – there were some definite concerns about his medical status. And once the NBA season started, you know, the, the exact injury that people were worried about happened, and he had to sit out the entire year. So I don't know if um, – you know, there's some things that need to be monitored more with these kids, more than any anything that's going to be a real deal breaker. So it, you might see some guys slide down a few spots, but um, you know, other than like the one we reported, for example, Robert Upshaw, who has you know a heart condition, which now he's been cleared for, he's continued to work out. I don't think that they're going to be, you know, any, there's not going to be anybody that really goes undrafted because of these things. But you never know. Every doctor looks at things differently. There's one guy in particular that we have in the first round. One team told me we wouldn't, our doctors said we shouldn't draft him in the 10th round, even if there were 10 rounds, whereas another team told me 
you know, we wanted to call the doctor that did his surgery and compliment him on what a great job he did. That's the amount of discrepancy you see in information just medically. I mean, two doctors looking at the same exact injury, and they have completely different opinions on whether and how it's going to affect the guy's career. Our buddy uh, Jonathan Gaboni from DraftExpress.com, our guest, talking NBA draft here on CBS Sports Radio. All right, if you think that uh, injury concerns and evaluations are proprietary, I'm just asking you to evaluate talent then on guys that the college basketball fan, the NBA fan who watches college basketball to see who's going to be the stars on the next level didn't get a chance to see. Moutier, Porzingis, Hazonia. How good are these guys? Where do they fall in line to the draft? Is this a good non-collegiate draft coming in this year? Is it average? Is it below average? Where would you put if those are the three movers and shakers who are going to be taken in the top 15 picks, the only lottery ones, not to have played college basketball this year? How good a grouping of this three is it? I think it's a great grouping. Those three guys, I have them all in my top seven. Um, I think that it's uh, it's a really, really strong group there at the top. After that, it gets very weak. Um, there would be a, a certain degree of surprise if any other international player goes in the first round besides those three. We might see, you know, one guy, maybe two guys slide in there in the late 20s, but it's a fairly weak crop of international players outside of that top three. Um, just because a lot of guys decided not to enter the draft or they decided to withdraw their name at the deadline. But uh, his only opposing is Moutier. That's a really strong combo. And um, I think they're, they're three of the top guys, three of the most talented guys in the draft, too. The concern I have about Porzingis, and again, you're, you, you've got guys who are over there and filing scouting reports and watching them play. Uh, you can catch some European basketball on the Internet if you watch it. I've only seen uh, highlights of the kid and the like, and he does seem to have a lot of game and versatility and the like. Seven one two fifteen. I'm sorry, that's stiff wind territory, and a kid can get blown away. Is he going to be able to put on weight? Do they want him to put on weight? Is that just the way he's going to play his entire career? Is tall, lean, lean, thin, uh, versatile, but never a guy who's going to be able to bulk up? I think that his frame is okay. I've heard that he was weighed at 230 pounds last week, which is you know not ideal for a, for a seven footer, but he is 19 years old. And I think that a certain degree of maturation um, physically happens with these guys as they get older, and he's going to fill out. And I think that um, they, they don't have the same degree of, you know, strength and conditioning in Europe, especially these smaller teams like that he was at in Seville, of just going to work with the weight room every single day and, and just pumping iron. Um, I, I think that he's going to end up, you know, filling out pretty nicely, you know, at 240, 245. Um, I think his frame will be okay. Read an article this week on the kid Hazonia who's apparently got the NBA cockiness ready to step into the league. Big believer in himself, already has a good healthy attitude of how good a player he is. Does that work for European players in the NBA? Is, is that a plus for him, or is that something he's going to have to curb a little bit if he's as self-confident as it seems he is. I think it's a huge plus in my mind. I think it's something that you have to have. All of our best players have that degree of, you know, I'm I'm the best. I mean, I, I can take any shot I want, and it's going to go in. 
you know, you hear LeBron James talking about that in the finals about how, you know, he's confident he's going to win the next game because he's the best player in the world. His only isn't LeBron James, but I think that he's a tremendous talent. And I think you need to have that level of self-belief in order to be successful in the NBA, especially the position that he plays. So I think it's a, it's a really good thing. Everybody likes a comparable. If they don't know the player, haven't seen him play, uh, haven't had a chance to watch him compete against others, well, who does he look like who came before him? His game is similar to. Do you have one like that for Moutier? For Moutier? Moutier reminds me of Drew Holiday. A big, strong point guard, versatile, um, can score a little bit, can pass a little bit, can defend a little bit. Not really outstanding in any one area. Not a freakish athlete, but a good athlete. Um, I, I, he, he can guard both guard positions. He, he looks like Drew Holiday to me. Hopefully he's able to stay healthier than Drew Holiday has. That's been a big problem for Drew in his career. No greed. We're talking to Jonathan Gavoni, DraftExpress.com, NBA Draft, coming up on Thursday night. All right, the two bigs at the top, Carl Anthony Towns and uh, Jaleel Okafor, uh, all indications are that Towns is now going number one. Minnesota worked them out. The only workout Towns has taken is Minnesota. Sounds like uh, that's a love affair that's going to come to fruition on Thursday night. Okafor drops to two. Could he drop to three? If Embiid's injury is something significant, would the Sixers take another big for the third consecutive year, or is he going to drop all the way to four in the Knicks and make Phil Jackson's day? I would be shocked if Okafor slipped past two. I think that the Lakers have really locked in on him. They had Porzingis working out for them this week, and I heard his workout was good but not great, not enough to exceed you know, Okafor, and I mean, they they really know that they need a big a big guy to build around at the five spot, and you know, I think Kovac that's that's the direction that they're going to go into too. Fair enough. Uh, so if the two bigs go one two, is it that easy that uh, Philadelphia just calls out D'Angelo Russell's name, or could Sam Hinkie, who again likes to prove that he's smarter than everybody else, could he be the guy who takes Porzingis off the board? Well, this is going to be a really interesting week because Porzingis visited the Lakers at two, and he visited the Orlando Magic at five. Um, he's probably not going two. So, you know, and the the Magic, I don't know if they're ready to commit to him at five. So he's going to have to keep looking around. And one of those places he's going to have to visit if he wants to go three is Philadelphia because I think I don't know how Sam Hinkie can draft Porzingis without getting a medical evaluation on him. Most of these guys – you get their physical done at the NBA Combine in Chicago in mid-May. Porzingis wasn't there. He was still playing at that point. So I think that it's going to be really, really hard for him to go three unless he goes in there for a visit and just spends time with the coaching staff and, and makes them comfortable. But there are a lot of question marks about whether he even wants to get drafted by Philadelphia. Um, you know, he might prefer to slide down to five to Orlando. But, again, there are no assurances that he'd even be picked there. So, it's going to be an interesting kind of cat-and-mouse game that will be played in the next couple of days because the Knicks also want Porzingis to come in, and, and not not even just for a workout, just to meet him, visit him, um, you know, do a, a medical. So uh, this these next four days are going to tell us quite a bit about where, where Porzingis might go. That is interesting. All right, um, who's the guy you do your mock drafts? As I said to all my listeners, I read them. Uh, I'm already uh, on your 2016 mock draft. Uh, so you've got it all year. Guys move up, guys move down and the like. I'm sure you check out other uh, insiders who do what you do and their mock drafts and the like. 
Is there one guy that you just continually are surprised that you have more highly rated than other people do that you think guys are just missing a boat on? Um, I'm, I'm trying to think about, you know, I, I do glance at them sometimes, but honestly, I couldn't really tell you who other people have that okay. are significantly um, higher or lower. I remember being surprised most of the year when people had Kavan Looney in the top five, you know, calling him this super freak athletic small forward. You know, Kavan Looney is probably going to go in, in somewhere in the 20s now. People are really concerned about his athleticism. So that was the one that really surprised me. But I honestly, I couldn't really tell you who other people have too high or too low. Is it going to be an active night trade-wise, or do you think we're going to just sit there? It's kind of goofy with the end, and I've had this explained to me, and I still don't understand it, that because of the way the rules are written and you have to give notice to the commissioner's office and the like, that you have to draft a player and then trade him afterwards. The NFL lets you trade the draft pick ahead of time. I still think it's foolish the way the NBA does it, but... Uh, when there are deals and then you get the reports from whoever's covering it, ESPN's got it this year. Our insiders tell us that he's going to be, after just being selected by, or this pick is being made for this other team and the like, are we going to get a lot of that on Thursday night or a team's just going to sit and take their guys? I think so. I think there'll be a lot of trades, um, you know, both in the day or two leading up to the draft and also on draft night. There are a lot of teams that, uh, you know, ha- have to make moves from a salary cap stand- uh, standpoint. And, you know, July 1 hits, um, the new kind of year starts with contracts. So I do think there would be a lot of movement um, also with draft picks, too. So, I mean, that makes the draft a lot more fun. So I'm really hoping that that does end up being the case. All right. And last thing, this is for my Philly faithful. I do shows down in Philly. Sam Hinkie's got not one, not two, not three, not four, five second-round picks. Who's the guy who's sitting there in the second round that uh, maybe isn't getting his just due? Maybe he's got some injury concerns, is going to drop because of that. Who the Sixers, who have more chance to get a uh, under-the-radar player than anybody else with all those second-round picks, who's a second-round potential steal that Philly should be looking at? Robert Upshaw is the guy that, If he starts sliding deep into the second round, I think Philly has to make a move on him. He was the number one shot blocker in college basketball. He has a 7'5 wingspan. Um, He's he's 7 feet tall. He's going to slip because of some character issues um, and and also because of the heart thing that we talked about. But I think that if you're going to make a a mistake, do it with a 7-footer. Do it in the second round where there's no risk. If he pans out, you're a genius. If not, you know, it's just another second-round pick. Uh, you know, um, 80% of second-round picks don't end up making it to their second contract, so who cares? Exactly right. Jonathan, great stuff. Appreciate it. I appreciate the stuff you give us all year long. Thanks much. Have a great week. We'll talk to you after the draft. Thanks so much.